Welcome to the Garden Report, CLNS Media, on a, another off day for the Celtics. Thursday here, we're getting these going daily as the playoffs approach, the NBA playoffs, just a couple weeks away, and no shortage of Celtics news. A big one this week, Jalen Brown. Wanted to bring in Chris Gasper to talk about it from the Boston Globe, who I met out in L.A. for a couple games uh, earlier this season. He's been all over the Boston sports scene. I'm sure we'll see him uh, touch on the Celtics more. Just wrote about the Kings game in the Globe the uh, other day and mildly concerned, as I think most people around the Celtics are right now, despite a great win in that game. Uh, it's just always something with this team, Chris, despite the amount of talent, despite the promise that they have, uh, whether it's the off the court, uh, future concerns about the roster, um, the coach to begin the year or injuries, uh, which they've now actually kind of settled with Robert Williams coming back. There's just so much that makes you uneasy as good as the product is. I mean, you look at this team right now, top five in offense, top five in defense. They've slid a little bit in the standings, but I have friends all the time who text me and are like, what do you, what are you guys freaking out about? It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> like Lakers fans, especially. <laughs> no, I can see that. Uh, certainly high class hoops problems for the Celtics, right? But we are sort of in a banner or bust season. And yep. that's the prism through which I think the Celtics are being judged and evaluated. And look, how could you not love what you saw against Sacramento? You know, my my only concern, and as I wrote, Bobby, is just can you duplicate that type of overwhelming offensive efficiency in the playoffs for two and a half months, four rounds and 16 wins. It just seems unlikely. You know, I'm not sure anybody outside of Golden State has really done it in sort of the modern NBA, right? So I'll say, you know, the last 30 years or so. And that's where I think sort of some of the dissection of the team comes. I loved seeing Robert Williams back because I think that is their best hope of maybe getting a little more balance between offense and defense. What they can do offensively is elite. And it, it is amazing to see. And when it clicks, it's great. But we've also seen, and we saw it at points on this road trip, we've seen it at points really since the All-Star break where they're only eight and six, that when they don't have that offense that is just so overwhelming and is the answer for everything, it seems like they really don't have the answers in terms of being a team that can play at the same level. Yeah, and they hadn't reached that level in a while uh, on both ends. I, the defense slipped badly out of the break. Offense, once the shooting went cold after about 26 games this year, they fell to an average place on that end of the court. Now, I I, I like what they've done on that end of the ball this year. I, if you remember last year, they had a ton of issues on that end as well, probably bigger issues than we've seen this year. They've cut the turnovers down. Uh, they've put Brown and Tatum in a place where they're both scoring high 20s pretty much every game, which I think is great. And you've added new elements like Malcolm Brogdon that uh, I think are going to be super important come playoff time. Even Derek White, I mean, I still think that's one of the stories of the season is is how well he's played and how well he's adjusted now. But the Rob one's a big one. He's coming off the bench now. That's probably the best fit for him at this point. Like, I just don't think there's enough time left to integrate him with the starters. But that was this team's ceiling last year was – switching having him out there and playing dominant defense and joe even said recently like our identity is different this year and i'm still kind of trying to grapple with which was better because at the best this offense is really dynamic and i think offense does probably win in today's nba 
But there was just something special and really even historic feeling about what they were doing on the defensive end last year that even though the stats say they're close to, when I'm watching this team, I just don't feel that forcefulness on that end. That's a great point. You're right, because even though they are, you know, fourth or they were fourth after the Sacramento game and uh, and defensive rating and offensive rating, it's just defensively, it just doesn't, like you said, it just doesn't feel the same and you don't feel like they can just sort of get those stops at will like they could last year. Mark Smart's been pretty, I think, honest and blunt and direct about his defensive performance this year, obviously hampered somewhat by the ankle, but he said he hasn't felt like he's been the same type of defensive guy. And, you know, just my my background covering championship teams, and this is kind of across sports, Bobby, is that championship teams usually, usually can win multiple ways. And they can win sometimes when they're not at their best or forced to go down an alternative path. And that's still my question about the Celtics. And, and I, to me, a lot of it goes back to the three, right? I mean, you look at the Celtics and Golden State, there's the only two, those are the only two teams in the league that are scoring more than 40% of their points via the three. And the Celtics in their wins, they shoot 41% from three. In the losses, it's 31%. And you don't want to be that team that just is kind of like that Doc Rivers saying, you know, make-miss league. You don't want to be a make-miss team. Because there could be a series where you're missing. And so now what? You know, what's the answer at that point? So I would like to see them have a little more balance between offense and defense, which is weird to say for a team. You're like, what do you mean more balance? They're fourth in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating. But to your point, it just doesn't feel like the defense is as potent as it was last year or as potent as the offense is. Yeah, I worry about that, too. You get to a deciding game in the playoffs and. No, no one's just going to toss their hands up and say they missed threes. Oh, well, like now on the next year. And, and <laughs> that's what I've really struggled to grapple with most this year. I get the approach. I, I mean, it's it's efficient to put up that many volume of threes. They have guys who can hit them and they've had uh, great shooting performances really outside of the Jays across the board here. I, I still don't know why Tatum and Brown have struggled from outside like they have. That's one of my bigger questions this year. But that three point approach does make you uneasy. And, and I Every game I'm watching, it's like I think their record's well under 500 since the um, 21 and five start when they've shot below the league average from three, and they only have two losses since then when they've shot above that point. So they have kind of put themselves in a position where if they're making them, they're winning. If they're uh, missing them, they're probably losing. Uh, but I do like the shots they generate. I do like the things they do on that end at their best. Um, I guess the question you have to ask is who actually scares you out there? And when I think about that, there aren't a ton of teams. It's Milwaukee and I look out West and there's, there's not a ton to be impressed about out there either. So I look at this team, despite all we've watched the last couple of months here and the struggles they've hit, I'd be stunned if they lost round one or two. In oh my, yeah. In my mind. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I, I agree with you on that. I, I would be pretty surprised. Um, if they lost it in the first or second round, I mean, it depends on what the draw is, right? I would expect them to beat Philadelphia if they end up as the two and it's a two, three situation. Um, I would also expect them to beat the Knicks or the Cavs, but I would be shocked if one of those teams beat them. If the threes weren't falling, I the guess Cavs me, scared me a little bit early, but they don't have a wing, which is, is they don't kill them. They don't. That's a good point. They don't, they really don't have, you know, a wing player, they do have that size for whatever reason. Julius Randle seems to go crazy against the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. And then and then they get some sort of contribution from somebody else, whether it's an RJ Barrett or Quentin Grimes 
or, or Emmanuel quickly or, or Rick, you know, uh, 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 sorry, Jalen Brunson. Brunson, Rick Brunson's his dad, <laughs> who was my, my camp counselor. Rick Brunson was my camp counselor. That's why that's coming up in my head. But when you look at it overall, I guess my question would be with the three point approach. Like I agree with you, I get it. And I think the Celtics best is better than anybody's best in the league. I agree with that. But with the three point approach, like has anybody outside of golden state been able to do it consistently in the playoffs? Like, you know, when Houston had Mike D'Antoni and they were jacking up all those threes, I guess you could argue they ran into golden state. So maybe that's why it didn't work. But I just look at the model and I say, well, golden state can do it, but golden state also has two historic shooters. Yeah. So playing this way makes sense on paper. And when the Celtics do it, they're basically unbeatable. But if you're in a seven-game series with Milwaukee, who now has Chris Middleton, who's rounding back into shape, and Milwaukee has home court, and you get in one of those situations where maybe some of your role players, a Derek White, a Grant Williams, uh, somebody else, is not knocking down threes the way you'd expect them to on a given night, all of a sudden, you're out. And, and that's, that's where my concern is. Just this model makes sense, but there's just not a lot of history of it working outside of a historic team with historic shooters in golden state yeah the milwaukee things unbelievable i mean they struggled immensely through around that halfway point in the season there hit some injuries but they made great moves jay crowder that's a good pickup yeah uh, they got joe ingles in the offseason who they had to wait a while for to come back but he's he's just such a nice fit there they have wings galore talking about cleveland not having any wings they just have wings on wings there in milwaukee not to mention Giannis, who's probably one of the better, um, if not the best in one in the league. They worry me for sure. Drew Holiday's been incredible this year. The opposite, I actually looked at Brooke Lopez this year and thought he was going to start really going downhill, which is why I wasn't as worried about them coming into this year. But he's been a defensive player of the year caliber guy, whereas Robert Williams has, has started to diminish a little bit, it looks like, when he's out there. So I, that's probably my big thing is that if Rob's right, they're going to be in that mix. Uh, if not the favorite to win it all. If he's not, I think they're going to really struggle just because of what we've seen from the big man depth, especially with Grant's decline, which has really been one of the um, unexpected twists of this season is is this weird benching he's gone through the last couple of weeks here in certain games and his overall struggle since the halfway point. Mike Mascala hasn't really contributed much at all. Uh, and Luke Cornett, who I love, uh, is really matchup dependent out there. So Rob... It might just be a, if Rob's healthy, they win it all. If he's not, they don't. You, you could be right about that. And that's, again, why I was so excited to just see Rob back against Sacramento and, and what he adds. And, and you're right about term, in terms of trying to figure out where he fits. And, and at this point, probably going back to the lineup that was so good last year, you know, doesn't make sense. I think that lineup's like minus 12 this year. And, and those four guys swapping out, Robert Williams and swapping in Derek White, it's like a plus 13, you know, with that lineup. So if it's White, Horford, uh, the Jays and Smart. So they have to sort of figure that element uh, of it out and what the rotations are going to be. But you're right about the front court depth. It's, it's awfully thin outside of Rob Williams and Al Horford. And those are two guys who you have to worry about um, from a durability, sta durability standpoint for different reasons. You know, Al, it's just sort of the mileage. You have to make sure you get him to the end to a point where he can go through the rigors of the playoffs and still be playoff foul. And with Robert Williams, it's it's always the looming you know injury bug, uh, which is unfortunate. The guy's immensely talented, but 
injuries have been an issue. Reliability, availability has been an issue for them. And if you're going to a series like you mentioned against Giannis, you really need all the front court help and front court defense you can get, which is why, to your point about Grant, I think, you know, you have to get Grant reestablished with his confidence. And, you know, he can't be getting DMP CDs and, and, and playing minimal minutes. They just need him too much. You have to kind of fight through it. And if I had one criticism of Missoula, it would be that I feel like as a young head coach, a rookie head coach, a head coach with experience at the college level, he sometimes coaches with that college mentality where the season is half as long and it's like we have to win every game and sometimes loses sight of the big picture. And like in the big picture, Jason Tatum has to get his rest in the big picture. He can't be gassed in the big picture. You have to make sure Grant's ready to go. And somewhere along the line, that might cost you a game. It might cost you, you know, a quarter or something here and there, letting Grant fight through his struggles. But in the long run, it's worth it to try and get him back to what he needs to be. It's so important, and it was great to see him look closer to himself in that Sacramento game. I thought he made good decisions there. And, yeah, and to Missoula's um, credit, I, I think Grant went outside of his role quite a bit for a couple weeks there, and maybe he felt like he needed to sit him down and get his mind right. I know there was an injury thing reported there, too, but it didn't look like Grant for a little while there, and he looked closer in that Sacramento game. Still not quite himself, though, in Utah he hit 7-12 from three, which is really the the upside you, you're looking for from him. He won that game seven against Milwaukee doing stuff like that. They don't really yeah. have other guys on the roster that can do that at their best, um, which worries me because they might lose him this summer, which is obviously a concern beyond this year. But I do think they need him. And I know it's a luxury and the luxury tax exists, so guys like that break loose. But you got to hope that they can keep him around in my mind. Um, just because of how important he's become to their offense and defense at this point. And I know he has those empty games and everyone's going to freak out if he has a, <laughs> you know, one for one for six game with two points when he's making 14, 15 million, if that's what it comes to rather than the rookie deal. But you don't have an obvious replacement to me on this roster for him. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And the thing I like about Grant, you know, when he's right is that, He's one of those guys they have in their roster who can affect the game without scoring. Yep. I do think at times this year, and probably because of the pressure of the contract situation, you know, maybe he's tried to focus too much or, or sort of prove to everybody, hey, look what I can do on offense. And that's natural. You know, that happens to guys in the league in his situation. But what I love about Grant is like, I love Marcus, Marcus Smart. Here are guys who can affect winning, affect your team in a positive way without having to put the ball in the basket. And I think on any championship team, having those type of guys who can affect winning and positively affect what you're trying to do without scoring mm -hmm. makes a big, big difference, particularly for role players. So, you know, you're right about that. There are games, like you said, you know, where you need Grant to take and make and knock down shots. There are other games where if it's just, it's screen assist, it's box outs, it's, you know, playing good defense. It's, it's being able to facilitate, move the ball a little bit. That's really all you need from him and his ability to do that. Uh, is, is key. You know, you don't want Grant to become one of those guys like the Celtics have had in the past and like the Celtics as a team in the past, in past years, not last year, but before that, there was sort of this idea of like, oh man, when shots aren't falling, you know, everybody sort of gets in a mode of every part of their game falls apart, right? And you don't want Grant to get in that mode because like I said, he is a guy, not quite to smarts level, obviously, few are, but who can affect the game without scoring. That's just so valuable.
Yeah, especially when we talk about that defensive identity we did earlier. Let's get to Jalen. Huge, huge story. Two stories out on him. New York Times, Ringer, releasing them. We've talked about him at length here on the Gun Report. Wanted to get your perspective on where this is heading with him. But first, uh, we're, of course, brought to you by FanDuel. Head over to FanDuel.com. The wait's over in Massachusetts. America's number one sports book is now live in Mass. New customers in Mass can get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. As we've told you, finally, you can bet on all your favorite sports, money line, point spreads, player props, and more. So bet now on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your chance. To get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and make every moment more on America's number one sports book. 21 plus and President Mass, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus place as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Gambling help? Line ma.org or 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. That's fanduel.com. Slash Boston. Uh, Jalen Brown. I'm I'm worried, Chris, because <laughs> I got the list in front of me of things that he seems to have um, discontent over. First, of course, Boston, uh, the city in the New York Times article describing issues, um, starting a business, uh, getting a house, which I'm, I'm stunned the Times didn't dive a little deeper into it when he described having issues getting a house. I mean, that one just jumped off the page to me. Uh, and then gets into the fans, toxicity with the fans, the Durant saga on the ringer side, which doesn't surprise me at all that there's still some hard feelings over how that went down. Uh, his role, which he's talked about in other locations more deeply, the Ime Udoka suspension and ousting. Um, and that kind of rounds it out, which is a ton and not much positive. Actually, if we're stacking stuff up, the Tatum relationship that we talked about forever a year ago or so now is probably well down that list of uh problems here but there's quite a few and i i can't blame anybody who looks at this and says it doesn't seem like there's great odds of him staying here long term well i mean i think the biggest thing is you know the all nba if he's if he makes all nba obviously and there's such a difference in money between what he can get here and somewhere else and that's not to say that Jalen brown's all about money but i think that that is something that is a mechanism that's in the CBA and it's really designed to help teams retain players. And I think for anybody just who's a smart business person, it would be hard to walk away from that in terms of, you know, where he stands. I think part of it is this feeling, and this is just me speculating. No one's told me this. He certainly hasn't. No one around him told me this, but just sort of this feeling that he maybe just doesn't get the same love from the fan base that other guys get. And I don't mean just Tatum. I'll use Marcus Smart as an example, Bobby. I feel like people, Celtics fans, generally speaking, they love Marcus Smart. They love the way he plays. They're willing to overlook some of his flaws as a player and really go to bat for him. Jalen Brown, it seems almost the opposite, where here's a guy who's a multiple-time All-Star. He's what you want in the league in terms of a really dynamic wing, but people seem to focus more on what his shortcomings are. Why do you turn the ball over so much? And um, there are other elements of your game. You could be a better passer instead of just being thrilled that you have that caliber of player. So I think there's an element there of maybe not feeling the love and also an element of, do you feel like the team 
looks at you, values you, includes you in the decision-making process the same way they do Jason Tatum. And I think in his mind, the answer is no. And I think there's some evidence that the answer is no. Yeah, and I think Logan Murdoch, who wrote that Ringer piece, described that as well as being one of the bigger issues um, when he was on with Bill Simmons. Uh, so that's a, obviously an easy one for them to address there. Um, I think the piece describes some of the ways they've tried to address things in the city. Um, I, 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 I'm so interested on a lot of details on that front. And I, I know Soapman, who I love, wanted to um, get into the Kyrie and Ye stuff and a lot of different topics in a limited time span. So I get why they didn't dive deep too deep into those um, issues when it comes to the Boston front. I, I'm thinking of a lot of the efforts he's made here in Boston. Education, obviously, with the colleges. I think he's had a lot of success in that space. The clothing business seems to have been very successful. I know it was in the seaport for a little while. Yep. I don't think it's there anymore. Maybe that's an issue he ran into was actually having a permanent space uh, for that venue. Um, but when he opened it, huge lines both si- both times, huge support. Um, so, I, of course, again, this stuff exists. There's, there's no doubt about it in terms of the racial dynamics in Boston. And I think even for a guy like him – there's probably, and he describes this in the piece, not the same kind of access and opportunities um, he would expect people of his, someone of his stature to have. So that's probably the most difficult of all of these issues to solve is that Boston's not changing, unfortunately, drastically anytime soon, even if it has uh, some degree over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to speak to these issues without knowing exactly what his specific experiences have been. But I mean, I think just generally speaking, you know, I I grew up here um, and and as someone who, you know, is African-American. If you compare this city to other major cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Atlanta, there's a little bit more, I would say, sort of social segregation here. Yeah. uh, Intentional or not. Like you mentioned the seaport. I mean, the Globe did a story on it a couple of years ago. I mean, the seaport is a very white space. It it just is. It's not a very diverse neighborhood and it's sort of the most up and coming neighborhood in the city. So without knowing specifically what he sort of dealt with, I think there is sort of an element here of maybe some alienation or social segregation that takes place where he feels like maybe his influence or his voice is not heard as much or it's not as receptive as it would be in maybe another city. Uh, that has a a more visible sort of black presence. And that's something that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you can't change overnight. I, I also think that it could sort of play into what you talked about in terms of the fan base. And I don't really see it as much with the Celtics fan base, but I do see it with some other fan bases where there is an element of the sort of just shut up and entertain us type of thing. Like we don't really care about, what you're concerned about when it comes to social issues, which obviously mean a lot to him, uh, how you feel about being involved in the community, advocating for things like social justice and racial equality. He, he might feel like those things are not necessarily received well by certain Boston sports fans. And as he sort of touched on, um, you know, in the ringer piece it, it, during his time from Cal, he was very struck and very affected by the notion of, being distilled down as a human being to just being a basketball player. I think he wants people to not only embrace, but celebrate the other side of him. And I do think, again, I can't speak for other markets 
Um, but I do think that particularly at times in this market, there's a, a, I would say it's a minority, but I'd say it's a vocal minority that looks at people like Jalen Brown and says, well, I don't want you to really use your platform to promote these things. I just want you to play. And he did touch on this too. Like when you, when you don't deliver on the court, they kind of use some of the things you're trying to do off the court against you. Yeah. I think, I think he resents that. And honestly, I can't blame him for resenting that. Cause I think to a degree, it's a little bit sort of, you know, dehumanizing um, when you want to boil somebody down to just entertain me or just boil them down to their job. And he's the last guy uh, I think in, in the NBA one of the last guys in the NBA that's going to allow himself to be put in that box. Yeah. And he might look at a different city and say, this city might give me the opportunities to affect changes on these front. That isn't possible in Boston. Like that seems to be the most straightforward explanation to me of why he might be growing disgruntled with Boston. If he just isn't able to access enough opportunities to accomplish things he wants to accomplish here. Um, and I wish again, we had more time to talk about things like this with him, um, hear more from him on this front. Like I, I talked to him all day about this. Forget, forget the, um, forget the basketball. I mean, I, the sneaker thing to me stuck out in the, um, and I know the Globes covered this. I think the Ringer actually co- um, linked the Globe piece on this. Is that he hasn't been able to get the um, commitment from sneaker companies that he wants for some of his initiatives. I don't, I don't know what specifically he, he's looking at there to accomplish through them, but this is something he's talked about for a little while is trying to figure out where he wants to go in a sneaker direction. And um, you know, I mean, there's different ethical stuff. I think he wants to address there. Um, but that makes me think like maybe his stature in Boston, of course, Tatum just got a massive shoe deal with Jordan maybe if he's elsewhere, he might be able to access those kind of opportunities and he might have the stature to be able to demand those different kind of things. Like something to me, just from the way he talks in these pieces makes it feel like he's kind of being limited here. Of course, there's a basketball aspect to that, but I think it's also just sort of being looked at as the face of a team and getting what comes with that. You mentioned the, the decision-making process, but I also think just being able to do what you want and, open any door in a city which he might not be able to do in boston as stunning as that might be yeah that's an interesting point i hadn't thought of it from that standpoint i thought of it more from the the basketball standpoint of sort of the partnership what i think is interesting um, I, I can't like i know players get disgruntled about being second fiddle yeah but i can't i can't imagine he looks at the celtics and is like this just isn't the basketball spot for me because it's too good I, I like the alternatives just can't be good enough um in my mind no and i think he sort of talked about that you know at the all-star break he, when he talked about the idea there's nothing wrong with doing your job and you know yeah. being on a winning team and he's talked in the past you know jason and i just want to win so uh, I, I did think it was sort of interesting today. I, I don't know if you saw this and maybe it's just, you know, the timing meant nothing to it, but yeah, like the Celtics sent out a tweet with his numbers from the road trip, um, you know, a photo. <laughs> and it's like, you know, he averaged more than 30 a game. That all NBA trip. case going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I mean, it could be as simple as, and we're just speculating here, but it could be as simple as he just, he feels he doesn't get the same promotion or push that Tatum gets. And I, I've been one of those people who said, look, Tatum's the best player in the team, but I don't think the gap's as wide as maybe some other people think it is. And I bet you that Jalen Brown and his people probably don't think it's as wide as maybe some other people do. Like the Celtics, 
intentionally or not have sort of really pushed Tatum to the forefront. They pushed his all NBA stuff. They pushed his MVP campaign. They're pushing for him to win the overall scoring title with points. And when you do that, you know, maybe you're sort of leaving another guy behind because for me, this team is about the tandem, not just Tatum. Like if it were just Tatum, I don't think they're a contender. They're a playoff team, but they're not a championship contender. What makes this team special to me is the tandem. It's the two of them together. And while there's a pecking order in that, I think maybe the Celtics could do a better job of promoting them as a tandem instead of just promoting Tatum. And the other element about the shoe deal that's fascinating to me is look at the look at the city that we're in. I mean, right by the garden, yeah, the New giant, Balance. yeah, New Balance, giant Converse building. How could it, Noble, which is doing stuff with Mac Jones, how could it be in this city with the concentration of athletic apparel? And, and sneaker companies that we have that no one's been able to do a deal or lock up Jalen Brown. That's just kind of strange to me. It is. And I, I, that's another thing I want to hear more about the Durant stuff speaks for itself. I think on uh, for the most part, I, I'm interested in what level of impact you think the Ime Udoka um, suspension and ousting ultimately had there still a tough thing uh, for me to grapple with here, how that went down his frustration seems evident there, and he was one of the ones who spoke out, I think, most uh, about how frustrating it was that they didn't have more information at the time about what was going on and what was going to happen, which, of course, was Ime was going to be effectively fired uh, from that position he was in there. And we don't have many details still on what happened, um, but it seems like that was a coach he really loved. One, of course, he had a hand in picking, and... Um, is now gone uh, and who knows what opportunities he might get in the future though. He hasn't been in touch with them, as he said in this piece and Tatum has, which is actually kind of interesting to think about, but what level of impact do you think that had on, on some of his frustrations here? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a great question, Bobby. I can't say exactly. I would sort of put it in the overall bucket of, of influence. And I think we know with a high rel uh, with a high degree of certainty that look, Jason Tatum, gets pretty much consulted on like every major decision the Celtics make. And maybe Jalen feels like he's not consulted at the same level. Now the email thing's different. I don't think they consulted any players on that because they couldn't because it became a legal entanglement and it became something entirely different where you couldn't really sort of consult players. And Jalen is admitted and he admits in the story that, you know, they went to him for feedback on hiring email in the first place. But I wonder if that's one that just sort of gets grouped into the overall bucket of why am I not, why am I not consulted the same way maybe somebody else is on the direction of the franchise or the same way that other franchise players on other teams get consulted with major decisions that are made for the franchise. Yeah. And again, there isn't a ton you can say there because you just still don't know a ton and Hopefully more details come out one day on that front and we actually see May again, which is going to be the first step on kind of getting some of those answers. Uh, still nothing from him since since uh, his suspension. Uh, looking back at that Durant saga real quick before I, I let you go here. Yeah, sure. Um, at the time, I thought this was an underrated aspect of it, is that Durant was signed when they reportedly pursued him and offered Brown, um, which was out there and didn't go addressed by the team outside of this call that's described in the, in the piece. Which by Durant, the way, it says Jalen initiated. I mean, I think that's kind of a big point 
Jalen is, is saying says in that ringer story by that he initiated the call. Yeah, doing doing part to the photo of Tatum yeah. and Durant working out, which is again at the time I thought that really stunk and wasn't a good look, uh, and it's obvious that it wasn't received well. No, no, and 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 it, regardless of you know optics or whatever intentions, the fact that Jalen had to initiate the call that it didn't come from Jason Tatum or the Celtics to me is a little bit telling. And what that says is that Jalen was sort and he even says in the piece, he was kind of like, what's going on here? Like he felt like on the outside, he kind of felt like, Oh wait, are they, are they lining up or circling to move on from me and replace me? And I don't know about it. Like I'm not in the inner circle here. So I need to call them and try and get a straight answer as opposed to them as opposed to like what Wick said, right? When Wick came to him during the year th- this year and said, you know, we're, when 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 Durant requested a trade after Kyrie was was moved to Dallas and said, hey, we're not dealing you. That's a, that's an entirely different scenario is when the team's proactive with you versus when you feel like you're not getting any feedback or information and you have to be proactive with them to be like, hey, am I still employed here or what? Yeah, and I think, and I said this at the time, they should have come out publicly and said, we're not moving Brown. And I know teams don't do that. I've heard that they didn't want to do that for, you know, a bunch of different reasons. It would have shut everything down immediately. If you had the Celtics coming out, or even a report coming out through them, I guess, anonymously, it would have been possible that we're not doing this. And that would have just ended it right there. Instead, it lingered for a month, and there's debates, and there's shows, and this and that, and it just stretched on for weeks before he, the you know trade request obviously got rescinded by Durant late in the offseason. So you had to think that that was going to have some lasting impact on him. And that might be right up there at the top in terms of things that disillusioned him with the situation in Boston. I mean, he talks in this piece about how he, he like just doesn't have a level of warmth or even I know he doesn't say specifically, but trust when he walks in the building, he's talking about guys coming inside doors. Like this relationship seems a little fractured to me, especially stemming from that uh, part of it. So I don't know what you do this summer. Obviously, as you said, the Supermax, you put that in front of him. And I think if he declines that, you almost have to trade him at that point because great point. I, I, I like, I don't know if there's any coming back from that, but if he doesn't make all NBA, even if they adjust the CBA this offseason and bring the salary that they can offer him much closer to that point, if he declines that, you're in a tough spot because you might be able to offer the Supermax next year, the free agency year. You can still offer him a much more sizable contract at that point, but then you're sitting with Brown and unrestricted free agency having no clue what's going to happen. And at that point, if you lose him for nothing, Oof. you almost worry about Tatum. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I have a question for you on this, which is, you know, just sort of evaluating all of this, do you think he'd be more likely or less likely to leave if they win the championship this year? In other words, does he say, like, I did my job here, I won a title, now I want to do my own thing? Or does he say, man, this is a great situation, we can win, you know, I, I can I can back up what I said to Taylor Rooks and win, you know, five, six championships. I, I'm just sort of curious, does it make Boston more desirable for him? Or does he look at it and say, okay, we won, you know, I don't owe them anything. Now I can go somewhere else and do my own thing. I think it speaks for itself because if they win it all, I think a lot of these challenges have to get sorted out for them to be able to do it. Uh, so I think that if, if they're able to do that, they'll have kind of mended some of these issues and gotten past them, whether it's on the court or off the court. 
I could certainly see it opening the door for him to leave and kind of giving him a pass to do that. But I don't think it changes all that much in terms of his thinking. Like I think he's going to make his decision either way. And he, him giving these interviews and giving the answers he gave here almost speaks to that. I mean, this guy, this is a smart guy. Yes. Yeah. He, he yeah. had to know that saying what he said in these pieces and he backtracked, of course, in Sacramento um, with the comments he gave there. It was funny. Logan Murdoch was actually in the room. I heard when he was talking about, um, you know, writers, reporters with agendas and, and stuff, agendas and stuff. Yeah. Which was stunning to me. Uh, oh, wow. So is he, is, is he going to clarify any of this stuff as he possibly said, or, you know, address any of it? I don't know, but um, again, he had to know how this would be received with answers he gave. And I remember the day Logan came to talk to him and they talked for a long time. Um, and it, it, I don't think he's going on a media tour as some people describe this and firing off all this discontent, but there were ways to answer these questions that would have been a lot more innocuous and, um, like low key or just that's true, but say anything, but I'll say this about, you know, look, we always tell athletes, we want them to be honest. And I feel like he was, I, I think he was honest in his sort of, uh, conflict about, about the franchise, right? He sounded to me like a guy who's conflicted, who can see it from both sides. You know, on the one hand, Hey, I'm in a great situation. This is where I've been. It's great. We can win. On the other hand, I'm maybe not feeling the love. And it reminds me a little bit in some ways, not 100% parallel, not a 100% analog, but kind of like the Ray Allen situation, right? And, and Doc always said Ray was the guy who had to sacrifice the most yeah. out of the new big three. And Ray was the guy that had his name in trade rumors. You know, Ray was the guy who got dangled to Memphis. And, and so when Ray had the opportunity to walk and go to Miami and join LeBron, he did. And there were like a lot of hard feelings. But the, the reality of it, I think, for Ray Allen was like, he was like, hey, you know, I'm going to choose my exit from here before you choose it for me. And I wonder if that's part of the tone of Jalen's stuff. And in other words, if the Celtics came out and did what you said, and they were like, we love Jalen, we're never going to trade him. You know, we look at Jason and Jalen as the pillars of this franchise. You know, we feel like, you know, we really want it to be both of them. We can't be successful with just one. We need both. And they really showed him the love. I wonder if he'd say this stuff. You know, part of it might come from pride and wounded ego of feeling like, oh, they kind of feel like I'm replaceable and they don't need me and they can slide somebody else next to Tatum. Well, like, okay, well, if that's how you feel, like I'm going to dump you before you dump me. Yeah. And again, to, to what I was saying, I, I think they should have done the Durant trade at the time. Now, the problem is I don't think the Nets were actually intending to trade him, uh, but if it was a possibility, I probably would have done it um, given the, package that was put out there and i know that was kind of light on the picks and stuff like that it probably would have gotten very expensive but uh, again durant to me would have would have unlocked this group at a new level and uh, address this uncertainty with brown which existed last summer and i'm sure that's if they did explore it which i'm still not 100 percent sure what the truth is there um i probably would have done it and now you have to make a decision this summer chris what are you going to do if, if he declines an extension, not the Supermax, hmm. but the regular one, and you have that uncertainty, maybe he stays, maybe he goes. What are you going to do? Yeah, and I wonder for Brad, you know, watching how things played out with Kyrie in that year when you didn't have the guy under contract, even though Kyrie had declared, obviously, originally that he was going to come back. But just watching the way it can play out when a guy that prominent goes into a contract year with your team. I wonder if that changes it at all 
the calculus for Brad, having lived that season as the coach, saying like, hey, I don't want to put Joe Missoula through that. I don't want to be in a situation where all year long there's this discussion about whether this guy has one foot out the door or not. Yeah. And I, I, again, I don't know what he's going to do. I, I, and I'm glad you asked that championship question because I, I do think the, the team might be willing to explore this a little bit more if they fall short this year, which I think is kind of obvious. Mm. Um, like they're going to probably need some amount of shakeup if they fall well short and have some of the issues we've seen. Uh, it does that stack up to and include Brown. I guess we'll see, but this obviously opens the door to it even more um, on that front. And I start to think of some guys around the league. It's tough. Like Durant was an obvious choice. It would it would have been a really good um, replacement if that's what you want to call it um, in that spot. And even an upgrade, I think given Durant's stature, if he's healthy, now you look around the league at some of the other stars potentially you could swap for, and it's not as enticing, like a Towns, yeah, uh, Trey Young, who I really don't love, but I think that's going to be a name that emerges if Atlanta continues to crash and burn as it's looking like right now. Uh, those are probably the two you're looking at, which are downgrades, I think, from Brown, even if they're different positions and different skill sets. No, I, I would agree on that. I, I would agree. I think both of those guys, while they're very good players – um, would probably be a downgrade. You could make a case, maybe Carl Anthony Towns, you know, are you better off? Uh, With a big there was man. A, yeah, you know, sort of, it's like diversifying your portfolio, right? And yeah. there was so much discussion, could Tatum and Brown coexist as two wings? Was there too much overlap there? So maybe you diversify your all-star portfolio. One guy's a wing, one guy's a big. Does that make some sense? Even though Towns to me is, you know, a lesser player at this point. Then Jalen Brown, you know, Trey Young, could he survive here? You already have so many point guards and then his defensive issues. I think How, there'd probably be yeah. some point guards going out in that deal. Too. Okay. There's, there's a salary. <laughs> there's a salary thing there too, that you have to sort out. Cause Brown's not that super max guy yet. It's going to be tough to trade him, which is why if you get to that point, you might just want to play it out and see if it can work. And you, like all those challenges you said of a contract year are valid. Um, but he might just be so good. And like, you know, I love you. You always love to make the comparisons. It's like Mookie Betts. Like, would you have just played out that last year and try to make it work and go all in on trying to resign him or do this awful trade that ended up happening to, to get rid yeah. of Yeah. Yeah. Where you get like the one thing you don't, I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, do you want to say, okay, we were proactive. We got 40 cents on the dollar yeah. for, and they, <laughs> they, they would get more than that, but, or do you want to start? I still think I'll be clear on this. I still think, the best option for them is to do whatever it takes to assuage him, to mend whatever needs to be mended and try and make him I a Celtic long-term. I still, that would still be option one for me. I would like to have multiple kicks at the can with Tatum and Brown, not just this year, not just next year, but you know, down the road, be able to get three, four, maybe five, depending on what Tatum's next contract is, you know, kicks at the can with these guys that, that, to me is still your best shot of winning a championship. So whatever you have to do behind the scenes to try and convince Jalen Brown, that this is the place for him. That's what I'd be trying to do. If I were Wick Grouseback, Steve Paliuka, Brad Stevens, Mike Zarin, all those guys. Yeah. Fortunately it has an impact to his play and he is right on that all NBA line. We, we talked about that uh, last night on the show and we'll continue to track that as the nine games uh, wrap up here remaining on the Celtic schedule. I'm sure you'll continue to read more Chris Gasper and the Boston Globe on them. Any other stuff coming up that you want to tease before we get you out of here, Chris? 
I mean, no, you know, people, obviously, I do the Sports Hub Celtics show on uh, Saturdays on 98.5, the Sports Hub. That's within the Gasper and Murray show that I do with Big Jim Murray. So, you know, we we talk Celtics on there. And, um, you know, frequently uh, we have Chris Forsberg on, also Brian Robb of Mass Live, you know, produces our show and he chips in. So I, I want to promote that. I have a, a project in the works uh, for the Globe and, and, and Nesson that we're not quite at the finish line of, but, you know, keep an eye out for that. Uh, that should be pretty exciting down the line. And just the columns in the Globe. You know, I, I feel really honored to be back writing for the for the Globe. It's, uh, it's a paper I grew up reading. It still means a lot to me. I still consider myself a writer first and foremost. So I like doing all the other stuff, but uh, it's really kind of cool to be a globe columnist, especially when you look at some of the names that have done that job at a much, much, much higher level than, than I have the Lee Montville's and the Jackie McMullins and the Bob Ryan's and, and Michael Hollies. And obviously we still have Dan Shaughnessy. So yeah, catch, yep. you can catch all, uh, all that stuff I just talked about uh, there. And then, you know, Twitter at C Gasper, obviously. Yep, for sure. And appreciate the graciousness uh, you've shown and Gary and Adam have been great as I've gotten on the ground there and uh, in the, on the beat as well. So uh, looks forward to seeing more of you into the playoffs. Hopefully we'll have you back here on the show and appreciate your time here today. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Thanks to Gasper. Um, wanted to give a quick shout out to some other sponsors before we get out of here. Of course, FanDuel, uh, like I said, head over there and get your $200 bonus when you place your first $5 bet. Uh, $10 first deposit required, of course. Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens, of course, great partner here on the Garden Report that we've really enjoyed using for, I'd say, close to a year now. Uh, we've all been on this, which is vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, probiotics, and more, all in a powder. Uh, you can head over there to athleticgreens.com garden and get one year of vitamin D, immune boosting, as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase that's athleticgreens.com slash garden ah uh, yeah why not i got time i'm here toss some questions let's go let's get it i'll take some questions over the last five ten minutes here um while i finish up with some of these sponsors again athleticgreens.com slash garden um if anyone's got some questions go ahead toss them i'll take them uh and of course better help uh, tell you about better help love what they do, it's accessible therapy on your phone, connecting you with licensed therapists uh, that fit your schedule. And they're going to give you 10% off your first month when you head over there, betterhelp.com slash garden. Um, it's, it's, it's super important, finding the right person, finding something that fits your, fits your schedule. And of course, you don't always need to be having a crisis to you know do therapy, you know, even just checking in, not feeling like yourself 100%. Those are all reasons to go and have a conversation. And again, this is the accessibility of BetterHelp is what really makes it great. It can be tricky navigating this space, and I've done it myself. Um, to be able to do it on your phone and to be able to find the right person and fit around your schedule, like I said, is, is the most important thing. So betterhelp.com slash garden is going to give you 10% off your first month when you head over there. All right. Let's see. What do we got here in terms of questions? Um, what am I hearing on JD Davison? Who's playing his last game tonight up in Maine? I, 
love what he's done up there. It's always hard to adapt G League production to the NBA. We've seen countless players over the year thrive in the G League who can't compete at all in the NBA. And when I look at Davison, who I did like as a prospect, height, finishing, getting his own shot off, all challenges that you need need to be able to do at the NBA level to succeed. And he's done a great job with all of those at the G League level while embracing a bench role. Uh, he's been coming off the bench for Maine up there on a really successful team with a ton of talent. Uh, defensively, the skill set's there. I think he can switch. I think he can guard a number of positions once he gets used to this level of offense, uh, offense at the NBA level. But it's no mistake that we haven't seen him this year. He's not ready. And the Celtics have to sign him to a new contract after this year, given that he's on the two-way deal. Uh, he has the option to go anywhere else. They do have a um, restricted free agent right over him off the two-way, so they can match any offer he would receive, and that probably dissuades any team from even going after him. So they'll be able to come to an agreement on something. But how much does he want to stay on a two-way deal next year? I think that's a question. Um, does he have a roster spot this year? Of course, we're looking at Juwan Beggerin possibly coming over. So that's another roster spot filled. Do you keep Gallinari next year? That's a roster spot that's currently filled. Grant as well. Uh, and there's a ton of guards on this roster. The big one's Pritchard, not even mentioning him. If he's here, there's no room for Davison. So I, I love what he's done this year. He's made the strides that they've looked for. I think he's made the gamble, not even a gamble, just the flyer that they took on him worth it. Uh, but the same challenges that dropped him to the late in the second round, 53rd overall, still exist in terms of him becoming an effective point guard. But they found a good guy deep in the draft again, which is impressive. Not always easy to do. Um, poor timing on the Brown front. Again, I agree with Chris. I want these guys to be truthful. I think it benefits the Celtics for him to be truthful and give them some clarity on where he stands. And it's clearly not in a great place right now. Uh, so timing's timing. Uh, I mean, he got asked the questions right now and he answered them right now. He could have did the no answer or the non-answer, uh, but he gave honest commentary on his situation and it doesn't speak great to where he's at in terms of enjoying the position he's in on the Celtics right now. But uh, there's still a lot of positives here that I think he can count on. And he's playing well, which is important. This isn't impacting his play. Um, does this cause some friction behind the scenes? I mean, Derek White, when I asked him today, said they, that he's read it. You know, he's heard of what's been discussed here. So these guys obviously hear this and the team hears it too. I think Joe was very methodical with how he answered this question today, saying that I just listen. You know, I give my ear and my support for whatever he needs. Uh, so... What can you do? How he feels is how he feels. And what's done is done on the email front, on the Durant front, on even some of the stuff early in his career that he talked about there. So how do you make him feel wanted over the next year and change here? Start by keeping him. Start by not shopping him this offseason because that's obviously going to get out. Uh, and I, I think you offer him a Supermax when the time comes. And also, do whatever you can to get these writers on board with him being a forward. Because if he's a forward, he's going to be all NBA. And if he's all NBA, I think he's staying. But in terms of the timing, right, it doesn't seem like it's going to impact them. In fact, I don't think we'll be talking about this much once the playoffs start. Um, Let's see. 
where do I see myself in five years? Uh, I love this. I, I'm in, I'm really enjoying the stuff I'm doing here in CLNS. And uh, again, I'm thrilled you guys have been along for the ride here chatting and watching each night. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is obviously what I've always wanted to do is cover a, a sport on a beat. I think what I've discovered in terms of actually being on a beat full time are, are some of the limitations in terms of access, which is obvious. You can't always talk to the guy you want to on any given night. Uh, you might not even be able to get an interview you need period for a story or the time you need or uh, hit on all the topics that you want to. Um, I love, I think someone mentioned Taylor Rooks. I love the kind of format she has these deeper dive conversations. And I always saw myself being a long form writer. I actually never imagined myself podcasting or doing any of this stuff. Uh, I always prided myself as a writer and I still, I, I hope you guys read some of my stuff over at clnsmedia.com and bostonsportsjournal.com where I do more of the long form stuff. I got a piece coming on Grant on Saturday. Uh, that's what I really want to do is find a space where I can really do some deeper dive interviewing and writing around basketball specifically, um, whether that's any level. And I'm, I've been thrilled to be around Jeff Goodman, who's done it at every level. So I think just continuing to hone that craft and get those opportunities to me is going to be the big one. A little more uh, writing at different publications, if I can do that over the next couple of years, would be big and something I really want to aim to do. And, you know, I've, I've kicked around and thought about doing maybe some play-by-play -play color commentary. That's a very competitive space, and I know a lot of people who went to school to do that, uh, who are doing that. I hope to get those opportunities down the line. I do actually see kind of a possibility for some alternative formats when it comes to that. You've obviously seen Scal and Perk do it um, together and take more of like a conversational approach to it. Um, I'd definitely be interested in doing that, but that's obviously a completely different skill that I'd have to hone. Uh, so we'll see if that opportunity happens down the line here. But like I said, thrilled with what we're doing here at CLNS, thrilled to be on the ground day in and day out around the team. It's been really fun. And, um, again, like I said, appreciate all the support you guys give here. All right. So. I listen to Brian. Of course, this is something I'm really passionate about because I think it's so ridiculous that Brian might be considered a guard given what position and style he plays. Brian Windhorst said on the Hoop Collective that writers will get the option to choose between guard and forward in all likelihood for Brown. And he's played both positions this year, which is undoubtable. Uh, I'm, I'm almost certain the position that gets the most votes is the position his votes will go towards. So he won't get votes split up in either direction. The problem is if a majority of voters point him toward guard, he's in a much more crowded field that he might not be able to win in. I guess the good thing is that if a big amount of voters are voting for him, it's probably going in the forward direction. If, if you get me here, like there's other guards who are better than Brown. So if people are picking guards, they're probably not picking Brown. So if they want to include Brown, 
the space might be open at forward for them to slide him in there. It's the same reason they had him beating Jokic at forward. So if people wanted to slide those players onto first team together, they could do so, but not enough people decided that was the case. And they could just put the other one at second team center. So that didn't happen. I think it's much more likely that Brown slides into a forward spot because LeBron's hurt, Zion's hurt, Durant's hurt. There's just such an open gap there. Um, Kess. Love hearing from Kess. I hope we can do some audio stuff soon and get you on there because, man, I know you're probably upset about the coaching situation right now on the team. Uh, where's Brad during all of this? He's been the most impactful presence in JB's playing career. Isn't it in his hands to make sure JB stays? I saw Brad talking today to Jalen. I practice nothing outside of the ordinary. Uh, he's usually lurking around having conversations and making his presence felt. Uh, but no doubt, I'm sure he'll be around Brown and having more conversations like these on, of course, his future, but also what they can do to help him out and make him feel more at home here and help him accomplish the things he wants to. But the worry you have now, Kess, is that, as he said in the Ringer piece, he might not trust the front office. Uh, I think that's sort of what he insinuated there. I, I want to read that section again because it's just so powerful the way he described it. Where I'm from in the South, if you don't come through the front door, it's considered disrespectful. I feel like a lot of times when you deal in corporate spaces, everybody wants to come through the back door or some sort of or through an angle. And yeah, he doesn't mention the Celtics specifically here, teams and organizations. He he, he throws, you know, like the pronouns out there rather than the Celtics. But we know what he's talking about. They operate on different principles. This is an organization. They look at it as a business where they'll tell you one thing. And then behind closed doors, they'll say another and they'll trade you off. Tell you we love you. They'll be having like we're going to trade him next week. I think that's how business is run. There's obviously some fractured trust here. And if they already dangled them out there for Durant. I don't know how they changed that other than, like I said, uh, not shopping him this off season, which is something they might have to do if they're worried about him leaving. So they're in a really tough spot on that front. They should have either went all in on Durant and really try to make it happen, which might not have been possible because Brooklyn didn't want to trade him at that time or just stayed out of it completely. And maybe that was Brad getting taken advantage of as a relatively inexperienced front office person. I don't have a lot of details still on what happened there and whether the conversations got serious, but the athletic reported he got offered. And I don't think Shams would report that without really good inclination that it happened. Even if it was from a Brooklyn angle. Um, Yep, Celtics might get nothing. Sign and trade even, not usually getting you a ton if it gets to free agency. As far as the responses go, I don't glean a ton from what Joe and Derek said today, and you can go check those out on the CLNS Media channel. Derek actually said more to me than, than Joe in that they've heard of it. And... Uh, he respects Brown, loves being his teammate. Uh, they have conversations. 
and he tries to pick his brain on things. And I did follow up. I was like, what do you pick his brain on? And he was like, oh, Pac-12, how he ended up there and at Cal. And I was like, oh, man, like, I think he dodged that question very effectively. Um, but yeah, they've heard it. I don't know how it's going to impact them. I don't know how it's going to impact Jalen. We haven't seen much of an impact. Uh, the guy, though, is Tatum. Tatum's got to embrace him. Tatum's got to be the one who makes it known he wants him here and that they're going to work this out and try to become those equal partners atop the organization, which I think, as Chris said, is really what Brown might want here more than anything else is more involvement on personnel and uh, dealings within the organization, which in itself, I don't know what to do, to what degree Tatum's been involved in those. Uh, I just... I just know that's not usually how the Celtics like to operate. I don't think they want a lot of player involvement in their personnel issues. I, I think they want those to be separate things. Even Joe said this year, he doesn't have a lot of say on personnel related things. And that's just sort of how the Celtics function. Um, they're not one of these Brooklyn organizations or other teams like the Clippers that are allowing players to dictate things. Lakers even have gone in that direction. And I'm sure they consult Tatum and Brown on these things, but are they actively involved? Is that going to help Brown's, um, you know, staying power here? It's a tough decision because I think we've seen players make bad decisions when it comes to personnel stuff. And is that what Brown wants, or is it more the organization's impact in the community and things they do and where they put their money? He does mention ownership in the New York Times piece, saying he doesn't agree with everything Peg Liuka and Grosbeck stand for when he was asked about whether he agrees with everything Ye stands for. So I don't think that was unintentional either. Uh, I think there's probably some level of influence he might want to have on ownership here. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Look at that. Nice little, some lunch money from the boss. Appreciate it, Nick. Uh, but yeah, I answered that question. Getting right down to the end here. Yeah, and that's it. All right, appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed, Chris. Like I said, we're going to do this stuff a little more often here on the Garden Report. It's the playoffs approach, daily editions. We were down at practice today. That's over on Celtics All Access. Did a couple reports down there on Danilo Gallinari, the Jalen stuff I just talked about, and uh, Rob's role going forward. So look out for those. Uh, some highlights from some charity stuff. White and Grant did recently are up as well um, over on Celtics All Access. And, of course, show our sponsors some love, FanDuel, Athletic Greens, and BetterHelp. Um, and that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow, Celtics Pacers, a post-game show. It's 7 o'clock tip, so we'll see you around 9.30. I think everybody's back for the Celtics back in Boston. And so are we. We'll be down at the garden, Joe Sway and I covering it. And uh, as well as our producer, Amit. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>